Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 462 for September 27th, 2015. This week, photographers sometimes need to know where the sun and the moon will be so they can plan a photo. If that describes you, take a look at Sun and Moon Calculator. The latest Windows 10 release in the Fast Ring gives a hint about improvements that will be coming soon. In short circuits, Microsoft has released Office 2016, Skype suffers a major malfunction, and WizMouse brings one of the Windows 10 features I adore to earlier versions of the operating system. In spare parts, only on the website, a survey suggests that far too many people send their children off to college with unprotected computers, and Concept Blossom says it should be okay to reuse passwords on multiple sites. Is this dangerous? Finding our star and our moon seem simple, at least until you try to plan a photography session in which the position of either the sun or the moon is important. Then it becomes a lot more confusing. The sun is relatively constant. It appears to rise in the east and set in the west at more or less predictable times. The moon is another story because it almost seems to be playing hide-and-seek with us. I'm usually up early, so occasionally I get to see the moon race across the pre-dawn sky and dodge behind the horizon just before the sun rises. Can someone explain this madness? Well, yes, and I have good news. You don't have to be an astronomer to figure it out. What you need is Sun and Moon Calculator from Douglas Software. This is a program I mentioned earlier this month when I received a news release about the program, so I talked with Douglas Green and he sent me a copy of the program to take a look at. You can download a free trial version of the application, but it won't do you much good unless you live near Gisborne, New Zealand, Hobart, Tasmania, Roswell, New Mexico, Whitehorse, Yukon, or Winchester, Hampshire. The free trial is enough, though, to let you see how the program works. To see how it works in your location, you'll need the paid version. It's a $40 application, and that may seem like a lot, but if you need to know where you'll find the sun or the moon a month from now, or even tomorrow for that matter, it's a lot less expensive and time-consuming than earning a degree in celestial mechanics. Green offers several other applications for photographers, including ones that calculate depth of field and the hyperfocal distance. For now, though, we'll stick with the sun and moon calculator. Determining where the sun and the moon will be in the sky depends on knowing where you are. A link to Google Maps will help you define the exact latitude and longitude that will be needed by the program if your current location isn't in the program's database. You'll also want to know the altitude of your location. Google Maps can provide the latitude and longitude, Search will provide information about your location's altitude. Sun and Moon Calculator automatically calculates your location's magnetic variation. If you'd like to double-check, though, you can use the NOAA website. North hasn't always been north. 
That's one of the fun aspects of being on a living planet. Things change, sometimes unpredictably. And you'll need to know how your time zone relates to Greenwich Mean Time, which is also known as Zulu. That's easy to find out on sites such as Time and Date. There are links to both NOAA and the Time and Date site on the TechBiter Worldwide website. For Worthington, I know that I'm at approximately 83 degrees 1 minute west longitude, 40 degrees 5 minutes north latitude, with a magnetic variation of 7 degrees 1.6 minutes west at an altitude of about 263 meters. Because it is summer, daylight saving time is in effect. The five-hour difference from GMT needs to be adjusted by one hour. Having provided that information, I might wonder when I could obtain a good photograph of a full moon. The calculator has three tabs, sun, moon, and horizon. On September 4th, we had a half moon, so I advanced the display to the 28th of September, when a full moon will be near the horizon, and therefore large, about 7 a.m. Also, there's a total eclipse of the moon that night. And wait, though, the sun will have started to rise at 7 a.m. Maybe an earlier time would be better. This is a time when the moon is rapidly sinking in the sky from about 25 degrees at 5.30 to 9 degrees at 7 a.m. The lower the moon is, the better, because the atmosphere acts as a gigantic magnifying glass. But still, I want to create a photo before the sun begins to rise, and that would suggest maybe 6 or 6.30. The moon will still be relatively low on the horizon by then, and by then the total eclipse should be complete too. The third tab represents the horizon, so at 5 a.m. the moon is relatively low, and the sun isn't yet visible. Check the pictures out on the TechBiter Worldwide website to see what the screens look like. At 6, the moon is lower and the sun isn't yet visible. This is probably the best time to choose. By 7, the moon is near the horizon, probably a difficult position to take a photograph if you have buildings or trees around you. And the sky is, of course, beginning to lighten because the sun is just about to rise. This could still represent a good time to take a photograph, though. By 8, the moon will be at or below the horizon, no lunar pictures then, and the sun will be visible. The one thing that sun and moon calculator can't help with is the weather. It can tell you exactly where the sun and the moon will be in the sky, but it can't tell you whether you'll be able to see the sky. For that, you need the National Weather Service or a service such as Weather Underground in the United States, or a similar weather forecasting service in any other country. The help file provides a lot of useful information, including an explanation of magnetic variation. North on a compass is magnetic north, but true north may differ by several degrees. Magnetic variation uses the world magnetic model, which is the generally agreed standard by which the differences are calculated. According to the help file, it's a product of the United States National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. The U.S. National Geophysical Data Center and the British Geological Survey produced the WMM with funding provided by the NGA in the USA and by the Defense Geographic Imagery and Intelligence Agency in the U.K. Okay, enough for abbreviations. The help file also includes photography tutorials that cover topics such as how to photograph an eclipse, easy tips for shooting the moon, the basics of better moon photography, and escaping the sunrise and sunset cliché. One of the more common mistakes amateur photographers make when photographing the moon 
is allowing the camera to choose the exposure. This will always result in a disastrously overexposed moon. The moon is usually considered to be relatively dark, but it's not. On Earth, a good general rule for photographing an object that's in direct sunlight is to set the camera's f-stop at f11. For color slides, the recommendation is f16, and that's probably the better choice for digital cameras, too. Then you set the shutter speed to the inverse of the ISO speed of the sensor. So if your camera's sensor is set at ISO 100, the proper exposure at f11 or f16 will be one one-hundredth of a second. If you want to photograph light from the stars, you're going to need a much longer exposure because they're so far away. And that probably is what confuses people. The inverse square law illustrates why this is so. Okay, no cringing. I know that sounds a lot like tough math, but it's not. The math is really pretty simple. For objects on Earth or near to Earth, the inverse square law is a critical consideration. The law states that the intensity of light decreases with the square of the distance from the source of the light. This, by the way, is why on-camera flash creates such contrasty light, and it's why such a flash is not much use beyond a dozen feet or so. Our primary light source, the sun, is 93 million miles from Earth. The moon, depending on its location, might be 250,000 miles closer to or further away from the sun. Stated in millions of miles, that is 0.250 million. And it's pretty clear that 0.250 when compared to 93 doesn't amount to much. Essentially, the moon receives exactly the same illumination that a flower on the surface of the planet Earth receives, and thus needs exactly the same exposure. If you install Sun and Moon Calculator on a desktop system at home or in your office, you might also want to have a copy on a notebook computer that you carry with you when you're away from the desktop. The program is installed and licensed on a per-computer basis, but you can install it on more than one computer. According to Douglas Green, we would need to know the buyer's name and the program's eight-digit serial number for the new system. Once you've provided that, you'll receive an activation code for the second computer. The bottom line for Sun and Moon Calculator is five cats. Instead of playing hide-and-seek with the Sun and Moon, you'll know where they're going to be. Sun and Moon Calculator provides the information you need to predict the location of the Sun and the Moon, either individually or in conjunction with each other. Now, initially, I took the program's relatively high price of $40 into consideration and set the rating at four cats. That's still a very respectable rating, but then after reviewing the help files and the tutorials, a full 5-cat rating seemed better. Additional details are available on the Douglas Software website. You'll find a link from the TechFighter Worldwide website.
This week, Microsoft released another version of Windows 10 in the fast ring. Build 10547 includes bug fixes and improvements over Build 10532. There are also some new features. Start has been modified. The default for tile groups on Start is three columns of medium tiles, but that's an odd number, both literally and figuratively. A lot of people wanted a fourth column that would make it easier to have two wide or two large tiles side-by-side side in a group. Three columns is still the default, but the wider mode can be enabled in Settings, Personalizations, Start, and you then select Show More Tiles. This is currently only in the preview build, where the number of possible tiles have been expanded from 512 to 2048. Assuming the changes are popular, and I think they will be, you'll see them in an upcoming release of Windows 10. Lots of apps have been updated. For example, the Photos app now has a folder view that lets users see OneDrive and PC folders. The Xbox app has also been updated, as have Groove, Mail, Calendar, and Maps. If you don't like the Windows background picture in the sign-in screen, you can turn it off in Settings, Personalization, Lock Screen. There you just deselect the option to show Windows background picture on the sign-on screen. And there have been some bug fixes, too. Underlying causes of a critical error dialog that insiders were seeing with Start has been fixed, and Search, which I grumbled about last week, should work more consistently now when interacting with Start. A bug that caused the Action Center icon to light up even though there weren't any new notifications has been fixed. You'll be able to use Cortana without converting a local account to a connected MSA account. That's coming in a future build, though, even though it was supposed to be in this build. Microsoft says several issues with audio, including those specific to Realtek audio devices, have been fixed. And keep in mind, though, these changes won't be generally available for a while. Definition of a while is kind of nebulous. They are currently available only in the Insider's Fast Ring. In short circuits, this week Microsoft released Office 2016 as the company moves along the line of providing Office as a service. I had installed a pre-release version of the application on a test machine a few months ago, and it looked a lot like MS, MS being more of the same. After all, how much change can there be in programs that create documents and financial reports? Here's Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella's take on it, though, and I quote, the way people work has changed dramatically, and that's why Microsoft is focused on reinventing productivity and business processes for the mobile-first, cloud-first world. Nadella noted that the new version takes another big step forward in transforming Office from a familiar set of individual productivity apps to a connected set of apps and services designed for modern working, collaboration, and teamwork. Okay, so that's new. And for people who have never been able to figure out how help works, Office 2016 ribbons now have a clickable link called Tell Me What You Want to Do. Microsoft's Vice President for Office Client Applications and Services team, Kirk Koningsbauer, says that Office 2016 delivers new versions of the Office desktop programs for Windows. That includes Word, PowerPoint, Excel, Outlook, OneNote, Project, Visio, and Access. And those who subscribe to Office 365 will find that the programs are updated constantly. Yes, that's the Adobe model. 
The subscription includes OneDrive online storage, Skype for business, Delve Yammer, and some additional security features. New data loss prevention components are in place in Word, PowerPoint, Excel, and Outlook to reduce the risk of leaking sensitive data. And the availability of multi-factor authentication secures access to content. Not all the pieces are in place, though. Enterprise data protection will be available for the Office mobile apps for Windows 10 later this year and for the desktop programs early next year. the problem was all those people trying to call stores to reserve copies of Office 2016. Whatever the cause, Skype blacked out on Monday, and users around the world found they couldn't log on to the service, or if they could do that, they couldn't make calls. Increasingly, Skype is becoming an important part of business because it offers low-cost calls with high fidelity. That is, in fact, why I use Skype whenever possible for interviews. It's why news services such as NPR use it, particularly when communicating with reporters in countries where phone service might be monitored or interrupted. Skype has 300 million users worldwide. Starting late Sunday night in the United States, the service was unavailable. The outage also affected users in Japan and much of Europe. Microsoft declined to specify exactly how many users were unable to access the service or what caused the problem, other than to characterize it as a technical problem. You kind of knew that already, though. In some cases, users could log on, but they were unable to make calls. The Skype chat function, however, still worked throughout the period. For some users, the outage lasted more than 12 hours. One of my favorite Windows 10 features isn't turned on by default. When you hover the mouse cursor over a window and use the scroll wheel, shouldn't the operating system realize that you want to scroll that window, even if another window is active? In Windows 10, you can enable exactly that function. On the mouse and touchpad panel in settings, you can turn the feature on. This is such a common sense feature that I'm surprised it became available only in Windows 10 and then only if you change the default operation. How often are you working in one window and need to change what's visible in another window? This is something I do frequently, as in many times a day, probably many times an hour. In the past, I had to click the window I wanted to scroll, scroll to the location I needed to review, click on the window where I'm working, reposition the cursor because the click placed the cursor where I didn't want it, and then continue working. With this feature enabled in Windows 10, all I have to do is hover over the window I want to scroll, use the wheel to reposition the contents of the window, and then continue with what I was working on. If you're still using Windows 7 or Windows 8, you can add this feature by installing WizMouse. I still work with one Windows 7 computer every day, and WizMouse helps me to maintain my remaining bits of 
sanity. Check it out on the WizMouse website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. There are some problems if you have a Logitech mouse, though. One that I've seen on my Windows 7 system eliminates scrolling altogether in some applications. Do not eliminate or forget about spare parts, which is only on the website. This week, a survey suggests that far too many people send their children off to college with unprotected computers. And Concept Blossom says it should be okay to reuse passwords on multiple sites. Does that strike you as dangerous? Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com and if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.